welcome to the Soar Community Network podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate, and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose, and let's soar together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. I am your host, Molly Pompadith, and today I have Julie Jacopic with us. Julie is a dear friend of mine, and I'm delighted that she's on the show. And I have um, her bio that I want to read, and it's quite impressive, at least in my mind. So in high school, Julie was an actor president of the World Affairs Club, and a nationally ranked synchronized swimmer. She's never fit neatly in anyone's box. Not because she didn't fit in one, but because she couldn't or wouldn't pick just one box. As a kid, that often meant she didn't feel like she belonged anywhere. As an adult, that desire to explore more than one box has been a gift. She has led organizations in the nonprofit, public, and corporate sectors, dealing in everything from cosmetic to energy efficiency to human services. She gets to bring the best of one sector to bear in another, and she understands the crazy things that are pervasive across them all. Over her career, she has been led by and even been the overwhelmed, frantic executive, the controlling, people-pleasing diva martyr. It may get stuff done, but it is soul-killing for the team and the leader. For her, it created the need and the opportunity to look back at leadership journey that started at a swimming pool, often underwater where no one can speak or hear you. Ultimately, she has learned that leadership is less about what you say and more about what you do. And her bio is pretty extensive, but we're going to really include all of her insights and her journey into our discussion today. I just want to welcome you, Julie. Thanks so much, Molly. It's always fun to talk with you. We always uncover interesting things I've never thought of before. Um, hopefully those will be tips that are really helpful to your listeners. Yes, yes. Well, I feel the same way about you from the moment that we met and spent the first time together, basically just diving right into our soul stories and spent, I think it was almost three hours together. So I know you have a lot of insights to share. So I'm delighted. Now you created iLead strategies to share that type of knowledge based on everything that you've learned to help leaders in the workplace that work for their workers and to help them deliver the outstanding results for their customers. So can you talk a little bit, first of all, about what led you to really moving into the direction of having your own business and doing this particular work, developing leaders? I think it's probably a couple things. One, my parents were entrepreneurs, so it wasn't foreign to me. And the other was I was miserable. Um, I had had the opportunity to lead the human service practice of a small government contracting firm. We cleaned up a bunch of relationships. We built a really good team. We solved a lot of problems. And then it was about maintaining, which is not a role I'm ideally suited to to begin with. I'm much better at building or change than I am at sustaining But the other thing that happened was, you know, there weren't any problems. So I was sitting in my office, reading contracts, reading invoices, interacting with no one, and not really, I didn't feel like I was contributing to the work. 
it's not that those roles aren't important, but I was no longer part of the production team. And, um, I was bored. I missed being around people. I missed driving the train. I missed the opportunities to see people learn. Um, and quite honestly, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I grew up in a pretty chaotic family. So chaos feels normal to me and calm feels suspicious. And so to sit in the calm and not drive was really hard. Um, I also had a boss who, despite the fact that he is a good human being, he's not a particular, he wasn't a particularly kind one. Um, and so there was some pressure inside to change what my day-to-day life was like and to really make more of a difference on the outside personally, not so much through my team and through others. Very interesting. So then what was the moment? Do you remember when the light bulb went off and you decided, okay, I've got to do something. I've got to change my life. I've got to start this thing. Or was it gradual? I think there were some gradual things. Um, But then two things happened very closely together that I think really pushed me out the door and onto my out of the nest, shall we say, into flying on my own. One, um, my ex-husband died suddenly and he'd only been divorced about a year. So was very still involved in his affairs. And that sort of suddenness was a reminder. My father had also died when I was a kid suddenly. And so this was a big reminder that you get one life and you don't know when it ends. So you better do what you want with it. And the other piece was I was scared and I didn't know, I didn't know where I was going to find clients And I had a client come to me and say, we really want you on the team. We can't do it with you where you are. We know it's not full time. Would you think about figuring out how we could make it work anyway? Um, And so that gave me sort of half a life that that was solid to go out on. And so having that anchor client and a reminder about how short time is, um, I think were the two things that got me out the door almost 10 years ago. Wow. Well, you know, I was going to ask you about some of the challenge that you have faced in life and how that has inspired you and propelled you forward. And I think you just touched upon it. So I want to acknowledge the fact um, that you are being very open and transparent and honest and vulnerable. So thank you. And I also want to acknowledge the fact that Um, you have been such an inspiration to me personally, but I also feel like for our listeners out there uh, who are scared to really tell the truth of what their passion and their, excuse me, challenges are that led them to where they are, it's very important, right, to bring people along and to not feel so alone. So can you talk a little bit about that feeling and also, um, you know, dive back into the challenges and how that has helped you really fine-tune your purpose? Sure. There's a couple pieces to this. I think particularly for women leaders, but not exclusively, we have an idea of what being a leader is. And we get the opportunity to sit in these roles and we pretend to be that image. And a lot of the folks I work with, particularly folks I coach, it's about stopping the energy waste that that acting is and stepping into who you actually are and leading as who you are. And all of us bring our whole selves, whether we want to or not. I'm always amazed at how people inevitably tell on themselves when they're trying, when they're trying to be somebody 
we all know. And so I think as leaders, it's really important to be comfortable being who you are with what you've got that works and what you've got that doesn't. Um, I find the, the CEO of Uber a couple of weeks ago saying, you know what? I'm really immature. I need to grow up. Right. Kind of powerful. We've all got stuff. Um, and I think mine was about being an intense, emotional girl who was always 20 years younger than everybody in the room until suddenly I was the oldest. <laughs> um, and who ha- and usually mostly around men who had to figure out how to how to do that. And I grew up at a time when women were for, in the workplace were still wearing things that looked like ties. So how do you be a woman? There's no hiding it. Um, and lead well and offer your skills and offer that intensity in a way that works. So some of the, the story for me is I have had a big dramatic life since before I was ever born. Um, my mom had several miscarriages. The only child who survived that was me. Um, and then they, my parents adopted it, my younger brother. Um, my father, when I was uh, not quite 14, dropped me off at school one morning, dropped my brother off, and then killed himself, mm. which was traumatic, life-changing, and yet a huge part of who and how I am in the world. Um, left me with a mom who is smart, charming, mercurial, and was terrified of her life in ways that I didn't understand until the last couple of years. She's now 86. Um, and it made her, her idea of being a leader was to be in charge and yell at people. And that didn't stop at the front door of our house. Um, and so I hated being home, felt like I had lost my champion. I was dad's little girl. And so I got active in everything. So that high school story of being an actor and president of world affairs and a synchronized swimmer was I would do anything to be not home. And I learned all kinds of stuff, but I have always been sort of the outsider welcome inside. And I felt that way even in my family where, um, and I've met with other uh, adult survivors of a parental suicide. We all got a promotion in our family. Everybody got a, you know, those eldest kids got almost a parental role in our families. And so You know, I feel like I had been responsible for others and other people most of my life. Um, And at 15 or so, um, I started working in my parents' stores. The idea was to be able to buy a car. Um, And so I started in retail at 15 and, and then went on to work for Estee Lauder to put myself through college. And Yes, I was one of the youngest managers in the country running a million dollar account, but I'd had like six or seven years of experience before I did that. I just started as a kid. So some of the things that were really tough growing up gave me a jump start at my adult life. Mm -hmm. But I spent a lot of time covering it all up, right? Mm -hmm. I'm as smart as everyone else in this room. I'm as competent as everyone else in this room. I have as much experience as everyone else in this room, even though I probably was a smart, but the other things, no, I was a baby. Um, And it took me a long time to stop covering that. And I really, it's funny, when I went out into business on my own, I was pretty successful and I was good at being an executive, but I was still carrying all the stuff I didn't tell people. And it's really only about four years ago, um, I was decided that as a solopreneur, you don't get professional development. You kind of have to create it for yourself. Right. I had made this commitment that 
I was going to start taking vacations twice a year because essentially what I had been doing was spending extra days in cities I liked on business trips, not vacation. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was I would take a learning vacation once a year and a playful vacation. And in 2012, I guess it's almost five years ago now, um, I decided to do a speaker training as my professional development experience. Went out really thinking it was going to be a perfect opportunity, Molly. They were going to tape my speech. I had something prepared that's something I do in the real world that I wanted to market. I'd get some tips on being a better speaker. I'd get a free video of me teaching. <laughs> and it would be well, and it would be fun. And frankly, when you live in D.C. in the winter, who doesn't want to go to San Diego in March? Oh, sounds so good. <laughs> That was the plan, but like my life, as you know, that nothing ever right quite happens to plan. It was 70 and beautiful at home. It was 40 and freezing in San Diego. (laughs) Um, And the training, one of the speakers got up and said, you have to tell your story, that the the money and the efforts in your story. And I'm like, I got this. I've got my plan. Good idea. Try it somewhere else. And I was talking to him later and... He said, how much money did you spend to come out here? This audience wants you to succeed. You're never going to have a better one. And you're not going to take the risk. Mm -hmm. So off I went to my hotel room where I tried to tell the story of my father's death and its impact on my work. And I pre-recorded it a hundred times and I cried my eyes out and I went for a walk and Uh, In the end, I managed to tell that story, probably not as quickly as I did here or with quite as much grace, but no one judged me. The hardest part of my father's death, at least in the immediate days after, was that my best friend wasn't allowed to be my friend anymore. Her family believed something must be wrong with mine, and I understand that as an adult, but I lost the two people I trusted most in the world in a heartbeat. And that judgment had made it really hard for me to tell the story ever in a professional role. My friends knew, but in a professional role, I would never risk crying on stage. I would never risk being judged. And the truth is that I got more support than I knew what to do with. Um, In the speaker world, they tell you to stand there till the applause stops because you want to receive and you want to be good to your guests. I ran off the stage the first time I told that story. But the lessons of learning to do it are way more than I was ever going to get out of the video, which I did get. It just has the story in it. Um, Because I basically stood on stage without my clothes and was welcomed. And that lesson is one I think is really important for leaders to understand. So from a soul perspective, we actually want you to be all of who you are. From a pragmatic perspective, somewhat cynical perspective, everybody finds out anyway. (laughs) So you want to control the story. You want to tell them the story. You want to tell them the truth. You want to tell it to them first. And you want to show how it's made you who you are. Not have come up as a surprise when you're not ready for it. So either from a deep soul perspective or a less high level perspective, it's really important to know those stories and recognize them and tell them yourselves. The outgrowth of that is I actually ran for office two years ago, and I would never, ever, ever have said yes to doing it Mm -hmm. if I hadn't 
told the story because I would always have been afraid of being asked about it on stage. That's a very good point. Uh, I love what you said. People find out about it anyway, and they're going to make their assumptions based on where they got that information. So it's very important to claim and own what's yours and tell it the way that you want it to be heard Mm -hmm. um, and for people to experience you. I love that advice. Now, I have a, a question. When you ran off that stage but you did finally tell the story, what did you feel like physically? A little bit out of body, a little bit tingly. Um, I had decided I wanted to pursue, I'd always been a good speaker for a consultant, but I hadn't been a great speaker as a speaker, Uh or at least I didn't think I was. And I had already found someone at this conference that I wanted to work with who was in the audience. And he turned me around. Like I, when I ran off the stage, I had my back to the audience and he grabbed me by the shoulders and turned me around to at least face the audience that was clapping at the now empty stage and quietly whispered in my ear, they loved you. Hmm. And it brings tears to my eyes to tell that part of the story this morning. It was overwhelming, but such a relief. Mm-hmm. It really was an amazing experience. Well, we get the gift of you now that you're all out there, front and center. (laughs) It made me fearless, really. It made me fearless on stage. There's probably, you know, okay, I don't really want to take my clothes off. But after that, there's really not a whole lot you could ask me that would rattle me on a stage now. Mm. Well, that's freedom in itself, right? That just Mm -hmm. gives that she's empowered herself with that freedom to express and to basically take whatever comes at this point, you know, <laughs> like you yep. said, nothing would shake you after sharing such a vulnerable, painful, honest, uh, transparent story. I mean, I don't think that uh, anybody would argue that being on stage, quote unquote, naked is something anybody ever like just, well, it depends, right? If you're if you like to showcase those things, it's a different story. But many of us, um, it's frightening. It's frightening. So if that's one of the biggest fears in the world for people to public speak, publicly speak and then be on there as a raw and naked as you have been, um, it's really, uh, like, a, like I said, a freedom, right, to now do whatever you need to do to get the message out there. So let's, let's talk a little bit about um, your successes now. You've been able to tell your story. Uh, you've worked on it really uh, hard and, and it's beautiful how you can easily, like you say, gracefully share that story, but it just didn't happen overnight. And I, I know that our listeners know that, but I want to reiterate that <laughs> it takes a lot of practice and uh, a safe place to practice. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the safe place you create for your leaders. So let's share a little bit about I lead strategies and what is the purpose and mission behind your practice, your business and share a little bit of your successes, some case studies that you just feel so uh, honored to share with us today. I think one of the things that some of those tough experiences did for me is make me comfortable in chaos. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what change initiatives often are. And when I was 
you know, 30 change initiatives were things that happened when you got a new boss or a new bill passed or somebody had a new innovation and they went on for a few weeks and everybody worked really, really hard. And then life returned to normal. Uh, A friend at IBM a year ago said that life has never moved this fast and it's never going to move this slow again. Mm. That churn of change is a constant now. And it takes a tolerance for ambiguity, for uncertainty, to manage it well. And yet many of us are not skilled at that. I think of iLead Strategies as a company that helps people do change create better workforces, places people want to work, and better results for customers, often people who come to me are dealing with some sort of what they believe to be intractable people problem. Change makes people anxious. Anxious people act in different ways than they normally would. And that's hard for a leader to figure out which pieces of that angst is something they need to plug into and which things are just part of the process. And if you're going to plug into it, how to do that. And what I try to do with our clients is help them prepare for some of that uncertainty by knowing what the lay of the land is and then helping them create multiple paths forward so that as things change, they can get on the path that that works best for them in that moment, in that environment. And that might be um, a corporate or agency-wide shift And it might be a personal transition for a leader in particular. So some examples, I worked with a preschool who had been the neighborhood preschool, which was a, had started as an African-American working class neighborhood that was rapidly gentrifying and diversifying in terms of folks in need. They decided to go where their working class students were because the mission of the organization was to make sure that quality, affordable pre-K and preschool was available to all kids, regardless of income. That meant building another school. The original neighborhood was uncomfortable because it felt like they had a neighborhood identity. Some of the leaders who became African-American leaders in our city, but also in the country were uncomfortable because, well, do you still serve us or families like mine was? Because as we moved down into the next county, the majority of low-income families were um, Latino. Mm -hmm. So we had this whole culture shift about who we are. And what you heard me say is the mission that we reaffirmed and continue to have, which is to make sure that quality, affordable preschool is available to all children, regardless of income. But getting to the are we neighborhood, are we African-American, are we working class, who, who are we? was a struggle for a while. And as an institution that depends on uh, the gifts and uh, donations of its alumni and its community, that was a risky shift. And yet when people had the opportunity to hear the stories of what was happening, they got on board. And so Hopkins House has continued to grow. Um, I can think of a client, actually a federal client who Um, was in a leadership program, created a team within his team to develop new performance metrics. He took all of their suggestions, but he added a few of his own. And there was an uproar about a couple of them. Um, At first, it seemed like everything was quiet. And then he got the eight-page response from the woman who was the union rep for his team from the union. 
Mm-hmm. And I got a phone call going, okay, we have all these steps we have to follow. Can you come help us? And so we did an anonymous survey so we could eke out what the real underlying issues were. And we built an agenda around those issues. We spent a day with every member of that team. And he got 21 out of 22 of the performance metrics he wanted. Wow. And he didn't go to court and he didn't get sued. And it's about creating a space where people can express their concerns fairly and res- and be respected regardless of whether or not there's agreements that helps move those things forward. Now, this particular guy was upset about the one he didn't get, um, <laughs> right? Because that's the one he cared most about. But I'm like, so, you know, you got to win. So, so I sometimes think that, you know, the, the best answer is, you know, 80% happy, um, <laughs> Because nobody gets everything they want, but everybody could live with and excel with what they walked away with. Um, On the coaching side, um, I've had the privilege of working with a couple of, excuse me, national leaders who have been leaving Capitol Hill or leaving the Obama administration um, in figuring out their next steps. And, you know, I wrote an article a while back about what do you do after you go to the moon? Well, John Glenn became a senator. Mm Mm-hmm. There's life after the moon, but how do you figure that out? Um, and, you know, these, both of these happen to be women, the things that women I'm thinking of, but, you know, by taking a little bit of time and really thinking about what they actually wanted, they, and both of them actually ended up in positions with organizations that made a space for them because they valued what they brought to the table. And in both cases, they interviewed for something else. Um, and, I want to be clear here. It's not that those organizations had another FTE of money sitting around. (laughs) Um, You know, in one case, they were a growing organization. They had most of it. But in the other, they really didn't. And they really shuffled and valued the person they hired enough to make other changes in the organization to accommodate that. Um, But what happened for these women is that they were very, very clear about what they want to contribute to the world and what they want their life contributing to be like. Um, I coach all kinds of people, um, men as well as women, but I have a special place in my heart for working with women leaders in part because we don't have good examples. Um, I challenge your listeners to think of a single program on mainstream or not mainstream television in which the executive or the top role that is portrayed by a woman is married or has children. Right. I'll tell you that I can think of one. It's Madam Secretary. But it's the only one I've ever seen where, you know, the executive has to deal with breakfast for the kids before she gets out the door. That's not a comedy. Right. Serious drama, how serious life works. Right. Right. (laughs) We don't have cultural examples for being fully ourselves in the workplace. We don't have cultural examples for having full lives. And yet, you know, last week I was with a group of women who are professional moms. They all have very senior positions, lobbyist for a large pharmaceutical company, uh, attorney for intellectual property and telecommunications for firms we know. I mean, High-powered jobs, most of whom had little kids, a few of them had teenagers, Um, and yet they still struggle with these same things. And so I have a special place in my heart for working with them because it is when they bring their whole self to the table that they do their best work. 
Um, it is when they question how th- whether th- how things are is how things have to be. Um, what are some of the other ways we can make things work, which not just accommodates other women. I have news for you. Dads like to go to the baseball game too. Mm-hmm. Dads want to be at the parent conference. Yeah. Right. So they're helping them lead well has actually created a path for their colleagues. Um, and, and watching them this week, I was with a, did a workshop and watching these women figure out how to support one another and bring their knowledge to each other was a very special place. And I think, you know, my job is to ask some good questions and then get out of the way. Um, and I would say that for almost everything I do, Mm. you know, enforce some rules about how we treat each other. But for the most part, it's to ask some good questions, get out of the way and let people explore the truth of who they are. I love that. I love that you said, you know, when we can bring our full selves to the table and the, the work for all of us individually is to really identify what our full selves look like. (laughs) You know, your work uh, with don't await it, create it. I want to talk a little bit about that as well. And some of our store programs, it's all about that. It's like, who am I? You know, let's start there because if you really can't define who you are and own who you are, what are you really gifting to the world? Um, And that's really so important for the work that you do. So can you talk a little bit about the different types of programs and initiatives and conferences and summits just because there's many different ways to uncover those special, unique gifts and talents and experiences. Um, but how do you go about helping? Because that is a really, really, um, I would say, challenging thing to get leaders to take the time to do that for themselves, even though we know we've experienced the reward of taking that time. Um, but I'd love to share some of your ideas on how to get people even to the door to start the process. <laughs> Well, okay. Truth be told, it's the hardest part of the conference for me, (laughs) okay, is getting people to take the time. And I think there's a few things. And um, if I wander too far, bring me back, please. But one of them is this. So Molly and I live outside Washington, D.C. And sometimes people talk about uh, Southern California is where people work hard and play hard. Well, here people work hard and work hard. (laughs) That's true. Um, We place this ridiculous value on busy as if it was a competitive sport. And we make a habit of overwhelm. And so when you ask somebody to give up two or three days of their life, they think you're out of your mind. But I actually really believe you have to slow down to speed up. Um, We hear lots of delighted to hear lots of conversation about mindfulness and meditation and getting out of your head for a little bit. And there are a lot of things you can do in 10 minutes to do that. The longer block of time stops the clock for a minute because otherwise what we do is the next thing on our to-do list with no sense of where we're headed in the long run. We just keep driving down the same road, which may or may not continue to take us to where we thought we wanted to go. If we never get clear on our destination, we don't necessarily end up in the one we want. And I've worked with too many leaders who turn around at the last decade of their career going, what have I done? Suddenly paying attention to legacy at the end Mm -hmm. instead of all the way through. So don't await it created actually is a, 
a conference and it's a workbook soon to be published and a process that was actually born out of a strategic planning process I developed for uh, nonprofit clients that we turned into a personal professional development tool when I figured out that what mattered and what made that process special was the questions we were asking. And it asks people to stop and think about what, what's the point of your life? What at the, you know, one of the questions I love to ask people is a hundred years from now, how will your descendants describe you? Mm -hmm. Powerful. Um, and then drive towards that. That's a very powerful question. Absolutely. And then you drive towards that. And it gives you a metric. It's one of a few questions I ask around legacy, but that one I think is the big one. And it gives you a metric. Is this moving me towards that or not? To clear the space. Um, So that's part one of getting people to the table. Part two of getting people to the table is getting particularly women over this notion to serve themselves last. (laughs) Yes. Right. You know, I'll let everyone else take off as a good host. I'm going to pass that platter and have everyone take their meal and I'll eat what's left on the platter. There is a reason the airlines tell you to put your own mask on first. If you are not breathing, you are no good to anybody else. And, And in the air, it happens very quickly on ground. What happens is we fry and all of a sudden we run away from our lives and hate it all. (laughs) It is absolutely incumbent upon us as leaders to take care of ourselves first because we can't pour from an empty cup. We can't take care of anybody else if we aren't okay. And I got to tell you, I learned it the hard way, and I don't think that's the way people need should learn it. If, if I could come up with the magic sauce for you to believe me right now and for your listeners to believe me right now to take care of themselves first, I would be delighted. Because, and that doesn't mean a two month trip to Nepal to meditate. It doesn't mean daily massage. It doesn't mean ice cream, whatever your, the things that make you feel good are. It doesn't mean spending a ton of money and a ton of time, but it does make mean making sure you're getting what you need without it. You can't do the other stuff. So, um, when I was running for office two years ago, it's a pretty sleepless exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, And my team would look at me at a certain point and tell me to go to take a nap because I was working 18, 20 hour days for 70 days straight. And with no sleep, I'm not as nice as I am. Funny that (laughs) I get brittle. And so I would suddenly get upset about stuff that on a normal day wouldn't matter to me. And then be like, go take a nap. That's a good team. (laughs) Half my age would tell me to go to sleep. And I'd listen because I knew I was getting, I could feel it getting crunchy. Mm -hmm. Um, That kind of screechy stuff that sometimes happens for some of us strong leaders is mostly about our needs not being met, not people not doing what they're supposed to. When our needs are met, we ask questions about what's not getting done. How can we fix it? What can we do? So it is incumbent on doing that. Um, Don't Await It, Create It is a conference that I produce twice a year this time, uh, last two years. Do it in uh, Kansas City on March 24th. If you go to the website, don'tawaitcreate.com, you can see about it. We still have a couple slots. But what we do for three days is take you from that question about what do your descendants describe you as 100 years from now through building multiple roadmaps to get you to that legacy and then a 30-day plan to get started. I love love the plan. 
plans be really beautiful ideas that become the doorstop in somebody's office instead of um, how we actually operate. Right. And um, I, once people are in the room, they're madly in love and with their own life. Um, but it is convincing people that they got to stop for a minute. Well, I had the great privilege of being in one of your conferences for the Don't Wait It Created Experience, and I will tell you, it was very powerful. And uh, the the exercises inside the program and the group connection was something that, you know, you just feel it in the room, that safe place that we were talking about to share your story or to explore a new version of an untold story about yourself, which was really powerful. So if you could describe to our audience what success really means to you and any type of words of wisdom on defining that success for the leaders that are listening. Um, What advice would you give and how do we go about redefining success? I think we need to have more components of success. And I also think we have to look at it over a lifetime, not over a particular day or a particular moment. Um, there's a great little video about music. The point of music isn't to get to the end. The point of music is to listen along the way Mm -hmm. and to do that. Well, I think is a different set of metrics than how much money is in the bank although that's valuable or how big is your title, which is also valuable or how your children turn out, which also matters. It's also about your satisfaction with your life. And so for all of us, the mix of those things is different. Um, I have the pleasure of being an aunt to some wonderful folks. And one of them lived with me for a bunch of years and refers to me as her not parent. (laughs) I really care about her and her child and in a way that's over and above. I also care about the legacy I leave in the world. And that probably drives me most. And being in a safe space that supports me in doing that is also important. So There's a monetary piece Um, growing this business. So more people can do what I do and carry the messages that I do is really important to me. Um, And that probably is my personal definition of success is how many lives have we touched? Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody's got to figure that out for themselves and they actually need to tell themselves the truth. So one of the other exercises we do in don't await it, create it that your listeners can do for themselves is take 15 minutes And write down as many things you want to do, be, or have, and see if you can get to 115 minutes. I'll tell you the things that happen that get in your way. You have an idea and you think it's not possible or you don't deserve it, so you don't write it down. The challenge of getting to 100 is you got to write everything down or you're never going to get there. So I make it hard to edit, (laughs) right? You can have the fabulous pair of shoes you saw on the window and world peace on the same list. But right. Because, and that's why I pick a big number, because if you keep editing it, the truth is those things you edit out are actually things you really want. Yeah. Right. And if you never express them and you never acknowledge to yourself because somebody else told you you can't have it, you are never going to get it. 
Now, I can't promise you're going to get everything on your list. One of my mentors says you get about 25%. I can promise you, you don't get it if you don't put it there. That's right. And, and that's where the success is. Um, you know, I can think of somebody who came to a workshop with, you know, what, what she wanted was to build her practice. And actually, it turned out she really wanted to move and then build her practice, right? Um, I can think of another young woman who... Uh, is a Navy veteran, uh, injured while at the Naval Academy, was working for the, a defense contractor doing some creative work, but it wasn't very creative, who said she really wanted a life built around her creativity. She is now a fabulous model um, of, for curvy women's clothes. She has a whole set of uh, blogs and writing and now a TV video blog around body love and loving your body no matter what it is and uh, made a point yet a couple days ago about if we spent as much money on uh, health care for women as we do on diet the diet industry we could replace Planned Parenthood's funds several times over um, she has really moved into the space where she's a living her truth about being a beautiful woman who's not a size two. She's living her truth about changing other people's lives. She's doing something that I think on the day she said it, she thought was impossible and lots of others might've thought was improbable. Um, but she's writing for Guyam. She's writing for HuffPost. She's, she is slowly changing the world and she's modeling some fabulous clothes. Um, and, that is the kind of transformation that happens when you tell yourself the truth and at least play with the possibility of it. Um, those, those are some really powerful, powerful stories. And uh, it really does come down to, I think, the message of this whole entire interview is really pausing and taking the time to self-care, uh, self-love, and self-exam uh, what that definition of success is and what again, that the word that you and I really resonate with is legacy. You know, it's amazing what our childhood traumas um, really implant inside of us, which is this deep, deep desire to live and to explore while you're here and to make it count. And I want to just thank you for that, Julie, because mm -hmm. I feel a kindred spirit, soul sister in you, because we have that same passion for, li for living and love of life. Uh, so I encourage all of our listeners to really take the time to connect with you. Um, you are so accessible. You love people. I know that about you. And uh, I welcome people to really spend some time with you. I mean, we could go on for another hour like this because there's so much to share. And I would love, love, love to have you back. And you know that you're always welcome here um, on our podcast. But I would like for you to just share any final thoughts and let us know how um, our audience can reach you. I'm going to tell you the easiest way to reach me. And I'm going to step out on a limb and just give you my email address. Um, websites are juliejacopic.com and I lead strategies. The odds of people getting my last name perfect are slim. So it's J-A-K-O-P-I-C. But the easiest way to find me is my email. It's julie at I lead strategies. So I-L-E-A-D-S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-E-S.com. Great. And I look for, I'm actually open to hearing from you guys. Um, 
your questions motivate me and help me think about new content and help me deliver good things. So um, the other thing is that if you are curious about the event, um, you can go to don'tawaitcreate.com. That's great. Thank you so much, Julie. I really appreciate you. I appreciate your courage. I appreciate your honesty and your passion. It's one thing that I love about you. I mean, you know, it's not because you're a redhead, because I think that's so cool, too. Um, but <laughs> your passion for loving what you do. Thank you for that. Thank you for um, making it a norm and not such an unusual thing. Oh, it's totally normal. In fact, that 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 is the norm. It's just a lot of us are still hiding, <laughs> making well, it more complicated. <laughs> one of your gifts has been sort of opening the door, I think, to people understanding that it is both possible and a good thing um, to be pursuing your soul's purpose and to be open about soul and business. Um, that those are not mutually exclusive things. No, and I think at the end of the day, as cliche as it sounds, I just want to be a part of world peace. And it starts with every individual feeling the peace that they deserve to have. And I don't even like the word deserve, really. I think it's just our our goal in life, um, our work here to do is to be the peace and to offer the peace. But first, it has to start with the quieting the the chaos and the noise or using the chaos and the noise to really motivate us um, with our special unique tools and experiences to help others seek that, find that harmony while they're here. So that's really why I do what I do and I appreciate why you do what you do because we really, at the end of the day, want the same thing for people. It's just to you know, make their life, make their time here so enormous, so beautiful um, and meaningful and impactful. So I thank you again for being a part of our community. We love having you. We love all your contributions. And to all of our listeners, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for um, continuing to support us and being a part of the SOAR Community Network. And we look forward to sharing more content with you, and we will be talking to you very, very soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcast. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com.